This is the Mouths of the South podcast. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. The official Dirty South Soccer podcast. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Talking all things Atlanta United FC. Don't nobody understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, man. We are the Mouths of the South. The South got something to say. That's all I got to say. What's up, Atlanta? This is the Mouse and South Podcast brought to you by Dirty South Soccer in the Palatial 680 The Fan Studios. I am Eric Quintana. Next to me, Josh Bagrianski. That's me. That is you. That is me. And uh, we're one step closer to being uh, champions once again, you and I. Yes, indeed. And Atlanta United. And one step closer to missing you for two weeks also. One day closer? Yeah, one day closer. Yeah. yeah. You're forcing your way out back to Uruguay just like... You know what I mean? Some of our players are forcing their way out to go back to South America. <laughs> You're doing the same. I made an interesting discovery today. Go on. I have changed my Twitter handle to, well, it's still at Eric G. Quintana, but the, what is that called? The name? Whatever. God of Dread, right? Yeah. Yeah. Someone, I don't know if they're trolling me. It's a fair point. But someone has made a similar little thing and named themselves the God of Bread. God of bread. Well, bread necessary, dread we could do without. And so. uh, I demand he reveal himself, and he says that uh, this isn't even his final form yet. It's not even his final form. And well, he, I mu- I much prefer the God of bread. And I believe he references. Uh, let me say a, that. Uh, he, I believe he references a uh, Dragon Ball Z thing. Oh well, I'm, you're going to lose me there. So but. Uh, oh, we'll go on here. Man, so so when Anime Owen and Joseph Martinez did the. Uh, Oh Fusion yeah, thing? yeah, I know what that. That's how I learned what fusion was. Yeah, <laughs> it made me feel real cool to, to to learn about that. God of bread. I, yeah, yeah so I, you are the dread god, by the way. I forget one of our listeners brought that up, and I think it's such a, a great point because you're the only person I, that I've known that's been able to jinx the team both by making negative predictions that turn out to be correct, and by jinxing them by making a positive prediction where it goes the other way. So I'm convinced that Eric actually is the dread god. And and uh, you have been responsible for everything uh, from day one. So. Sometimes I use my predictive powers for good, and yeah. sometimes I use them for evil. Well, that's one of the amazing things about this Orlando uh, win was they really overcame the curse of Eric Quintana, who made a bold statement that uh, five stripes are going to lose in Orlando, first loss ever to Orlando, and then within hours, Joseph Martinez was announced injured. So things were certainly shaping up for the Dread God, but again, didn't plan on, you know, Orlando, God can't save them. Hashtag uh, blame Eric. No God can save Orlando City, (laughs) and uh, their uh, putrid performance certainly aided uh, the victory. But real talk, I thought it was a a good result, and I think he was strung together a pretty good 180 minutes between the Galaxy win on the weekend and then and then going to Orlando and getting the win in USOC. I was more impressed by how Atlanta, how Atlanta United was able to do it without Joseph Martinez. And if yeah. you have no idea what you're talking about, which I find that to be rare sometimes, but 2 nothing win for Atlanta United over Orlando City right. in USO Pickup semifinal. Um, goal from Eric Rometty, the other goal from Emerson Heineman. Um, not the two you would have picked. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, you had you had Eric Rometty making runs right up the spine of the of the of the, of the, of the team, right at the middle of the field, uh, taking shots from outside the box. Which, if you know Eric Rometty and you've seen him for the last two years, you know that's not really his thing. He does not have an <laughs> eye for goal. I would say not a natural goal still, scorer. Still, still interesting to watch. Uh, we got the Shimetti. The Shimetti. That's good. I like the Shimetti. Yeah. 
Did I read that he approves of that, by the way? I think I might have read uh, I'd like to hear one him of say the, the uh, media members that he approves. <laughs> yeah, I would like The Shimetti. Uh, no, but what I liked is that it was a it was a, a complete performance without a guy like Joseph Martinez, or Parco for the second half. Yeah, for pretty much um, the whole second half. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but it was... Uh, it was a match where you needed the best out of everyone, and I think you, what you got out of guys like Justin Miram, uh, what you guys out of guys, uh, what you got out of guys like Barco, Eric Rometty, um, Emerson Hindman, yeah. you know these guys, everyone, everyone collectively stepped up. I thought it was a a very good overall team performance. Um, I was actually kind of surprised, and I want to I want to think that I want to I would venture to say that Orlando thought this game would be a lot easier without Joseph, and then once they figured out. Uh, it's almost like they overcorrected. Once they figured out, oh man, they still have a lot of power. They still have a lot of attacking presence. They sort of backed up and 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 almost backed up mm-hmm. too far, because there was a, yeah. right before half there was a moment. Uh, I think at halftime it was, uh, I don't know if it was before or after, whatever. They talked to O'Connor at one point, and he was talking about how he didn't like that his team was sitting back so. We're deep. dropping off. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, did he, not, did he didn't that. like that. And it was mm-hmm. almost like they overcorrected from like the first 10, 15 minutes of the first half where they were really trying to take it to Atlanta. Yeah, and that might have been part of the point. plan. That might have been part of the plan to really go at Atlanta and see if they couldn't get one early, and they almost did. Yeah. Um. So to you know, O'Connor's credit, that almost worked, but it seemed as as soon as as soon as that switch was turned off, they overcorrected and and dropped back too deep, and they were too worried about Atlanta United getting one, and eventually they did off the foot of Vegarumetti. I was actually I was really impressed with with the buildup for both goals, with mm-hmm. especially the one for for Heinen. That was. That Impressive, was a really good goal. Yeah, the initial pass was from um, was it from Pity? No, Rometty knocks it in. Rometty, Escobar, Rometty to Escobar, Escobar yeah, yeah. puts Rometty it across to the Escobar face to Hyman. Hyman. Yeah, I mean that was a good goal. I think to go, kind of go back to your point about Orlando, Eric, because that's such a hilarious part of this is <laughs> that they fly, just the Orlando I mean, aspect of it. Orlando. This was the hilarious. biggest match in their club history, and uh, no, I mean, and you there, there's clearly a mental block there when they play Atlanta United because between what James O'Connor said where he confirmed that they weren't trying to park the bus in the first half they got forced back and then also like you said Eric you go through those first 10 minutes you have the uh the, the goal called back I believe for offsides and you have the big miss from Dom Dwyer during yeah. that time period uh so and then you saw Atlanta just really get control of the match and the second that Atlanta got control of things it did look like the plan was for Orlando to park the bus and play defensively, but as we learned from what O'Connor was saying, and probably from the way that they came out in the first 10 minutes shows you what they actually wanted to do, but Atlanta just dominated the game, dominated the tempo to the point where you force them into a defensive shell, and we know that Orlando do not defend particularly well. So I think that, I mean, obviously it's a great performance from Atlanta to do that, to to play a team who are certainly felt this might be the moment that they can get that win over Atlanta United and what also happens to be, you know, the biggest game in club history to try and get in a cup final. And then you start off well, and then suddenly you could see, you could sense that feeling of here we go again, Atlanta United in control. And Orlando, particularly over that remainder of the first half, I thought really, really got buried by Atlanta United. Really, really, from I thought the last 30, 35 minutes of the first half, Atlanta United all over Orlando City. Justin Miriam, I felt like he wanted one so bad. He was he was he awesome. Was, that was that might have been his best game. I mean, it, the the final product at the in the, in the final third was was sort of lacking, but not to the extent where because like he put himself in a position where he could he could he was trying to get stuff going, trying to get uh, passes back into the, into the box, trying to get his his, his uh, teammates into dangerous positions. Um, that attempt alone, look, we watched him 
go by more players than Pitty has all season. We watched him just dominate that left side, and he did it really well. He did it right in front of the fans. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a little upset that he didn't get one. That would have been not, nice. at, not at him, but just at the way things worked out. He should have had because an assist been, yeah, at the yeah. very end of the first half. That was a big miss by Barco. Uh, he was great, man. I mean, it's awesome. uh, that that is a tough a left. We've mentioned this before. A right-footed left wing back is not a thing. I mean, there's maybe how many of those in the world are there? I don't know. I mean, uh, Aspilicueta comes to mind, but not many. That is a hard position for him to play, and. I thought he was, I mean, it was amazing. He would get the ball every time, and he'd find a way to split two guys and cut inside and create or get down the line. I thought he was so, so good. And obviously the uh, situation for him going in with the relationship with Orlando City not being very good, uh, I thought he was almost like too hyped and maybe kind of ran himself into the ground, and that's why he had to be subbed off in the second half. But he was huge. And I think that's a really unexpected part of this 3-5-2 is you didn't think Miram at left wing back you thought when you saw that against, I think, D.C. earlier, a, a few weeks ago, you're saying that's a one-time thing. We're not going to see that again. Yeah. He actually seems to be kind yeah, of coming fitting into, into zone, that position yeah. pretty mm-hmm. well. Yep. It's it's different. It's unorthodox. It definitely puts some pressure on the guys behind him because he's not an out-and-out defender. But uh, he's, well, he looked downright dangerous in that spot. It's not that Dion can't do this, It's it's but it seems like Justin Miriam clearly is the better is better at, at handling the mm-hmm. ball in those tight spaces. Yeah. Um, I think experience is a big part of yeah, that. Sure, Both of them sure. are pretty yeah, good yeah. At, at dribbling, yeah. But having that on that left side, having that going forward has been so huge because you don't, it's not saying he's going to be uh, you know, successful 100% of the time, but you have more confidence in a guy like Justin Miram going at someone, going at two players um, and trying to get by him, trying to create something, trying to open up space for uh, It was his, so I don't know if you remember, uh, I think early in the first half, someone, I forget who, might have been Pity, played a ball into Barco. He, was, he made a run down the middle of the field. It was very early on, mm-hmm. but the reason that space existed is because of the focus on Justin Miram, mm-hmm. of how close uh, that right back was to Justin Miram. So I thought he was he was key, especially in that first half, to really opening up some space. Um, that, and on top of the fact that I don't think they really respected Pity much, so once he sort of got into the game, they, they focused a little more on him, which I think opened up some space for Eric Rometty on his on his run right down the middle of the field. Yeah. Uh, I. That was also the part of the match where the uh, Orlando seemed to just really rattle, defensive, really rat- rattled, and rattled as yeah. well. It's, they were they were in they were back on defense, but they weren't positionally sound at all. They just they, looked shocked. And I don't rattled. think they were prepared for Atlanta United to yeah. be as as attacking minded. I think as they were without Joseph Martinez. And I think I, they just I, demoralized. I mean, I think maybe they thought they would try to be attacking minded, but they didn't think they'd be able to control the match the way well, they did. If the first goal goes in that gets called offside, if, that, yeah. if that's a good goal, then, I mean, obviously the whole complexion of the game, that's in the fifth minute. Yeah. The whole, and there's the no whole... VAR in U.S. Open exactly. Cup, so I, I'm not sure if he was on Thank or God. off. But, no, no, yeah. he was off. Yeah, was no, he off? he was off, yeah. Ooh, that Thank God, too, because that would have sucked. <laughs> that would have been upsetting. I know, I know that uh, the Portland got one. Well, I haven't looked at it again, at least close enough to know. Sorry, in case you're watching this. We're watching. I just happened to see it, and it's 2-1. Minnesota yeah, so right when now. you listen to this tomorrow recorded, <laughs> it thanks, thanks for the live sense, update, Eric. But I just needed to give some co- context there. <laughs> uh, but no, it's uh, I, I just thought it was a it was a really it was a solid performance. It was one of the more solid performances I've seen. And I went into this game again with and it was nothing nothing soccer related. It was the fact that Atlanta Atlanta having won six of their matches against mm-hmm. Orlando City, drawn two. Yeah. This would be no, 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 seven matches. 
Is this the sixth win? I thought it was the sixth win, but I... So whatever. The point is, we have all these wins against Orlando City. We only got the two draws. This would be the moment. This would be the classic Atlanta moment where, not just like Atlanta United moment, just Atlanta sports moment, where they would where they would find a way to lose this game and, and Orlando City would be able to, and they would, you, you better believe that they would, would absolutely hold this win over our heads until the end of time. Regardless of any history we have, regardless of the fact that um, it's their only win in three years, they still would have... Well, that's what's so funny about the whole I know. Thing. They still would have held it. You actually had a funny tweet. Uh, <laughs> traveled without Joseph Martinez and subbed uh, our best attacking player five minutes into the half for no apparent reason and still extended our lead. Orlando <laughs> will never beat us, ever. I mean, you couldn't have a better chance than that. Then I said... Then I, then I quote to you, and we were away from home. We've been poop on the on the road and then you yeah. you won up me saying we we even overcame the classic blame Eric. That's curse. that's the cherry on top as, <laughs> as we mentioned earlier. I mean you it, that's the and you could sense that with Orlando, right? The the uh the, the, there was a, this was the first time I think I there was an Atlanta United Orlando match since early 2017 where you could sense there was some enthusiasm the Orlando fans thinking this yeah. this might be our night like you said Eric you're at home even down one nothing you still feel it you absolutely still that, yeah. you're at home Joseph Martinez doesn't travel Atlanta United kind of having the maybe maybe not chemistry issues that we've talked about in nauseam on the podcast Ezekiel Barco just coming back um, Mike can't you still have the issues at left back you know so and I think that's why they were so demoralized because they were thinking. Th- this it, is our best chance. Yeah. And on top of all that, it's a, it's a cup semifinal. So, like you said, Eric, you could beat them four or five more times. And they said, well, we still beat you to go to a final. Yeah. You know, and maybe they go win the final and, uh, and, and they can talk about that forever. But it didn't happen. I just, <laughs> and, I, you know, it's funny. You watch them, I thought, and I know we're going to talk about the Barco sub in the second. Orlando did control, I think, the first part, the, the first, after Barco goes off, I think there's about a 20-minute period where Orlando really controlled the game, but they just didn't have the quality in the last third, and they were yeah. rushing their shots. And again, that's when you can see that there's a mental block when a team's pressing like that, when they actually have a bit of time where they're enjoying themselves controlling the game. Uh, I think Atlanta, for about a 20-minute period, I don't want to say rattled, but certainly the momentum was 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 against you. And uh, you just see you know Orlando City snatching at chances, not well, able really, to create Pogba with yeah. a few blocks. That to me says men, like mental block, one hundred percent. That you still can't create chances on a night like that where things look so good for you. You're in control of the match for 15, 20 minutes, and you still can't find a way to score. The thing that scared me is that right after that, because I remember tweeting around the 60th minute, this is going to be a fun 30 minutes to watch. Mm-hmm. The last 10 minutes before that, so basically the time that Barco had come off for in that second half, well, the 47th on up until the 60th minute, I, I tweeted. This is gonna be a fun thirty minutes, uh, and the game was uh, the wide 60, open. Uh, you were right, 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 right in that right, right as Barco was coming out, and at that sixty-minute mark, the game was wide open. And I'm like, man, this would be perfect for Barco. Mm-hmm. I don't. I can you make sense of why he was subbed off? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so it's interesting. I, you know, I re- no, no, no. Sorry, let me put more context onto that. Can you explain why he was subbed off in the forty-seventh right. minute after being told well, apparently that's, that's that he was only going to play forty-five minutes? That's the weird part of this, and I think that's the part we should be diving in a little deeper to instead of the actual sub itself for a couple reasons. First of all, when that sub was made initially, I mean, I was if that sub was made for a tactical reason, if DeBoer tried to come out with a tactical reason for that sub instead of saying he was only good to go forty-five, that's bad coaching. I might be coming in here, <laughs> not on the DeBoer out train, but that would say a lot about. I mean, but fortunately, as we learned after the match, 
uh, at least according to DeBoer, uh, Barco was only fit to go 45 minutes. For whatever reason, he came back out uh, to begin the second half and uh, is subbed off just a couple minutes in. What was interesting, I thought about the sub, Eric, it didn't make sense at the time because, first of all, you're thinking, well, if, you, if you're going to, if this is about managing minutes, you should take them off at half. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking this might actually be a tactical a tactical substitution, but then... But even still, you wouldn't do that. You, I mean, you'd still do that at halftime if you know so you're going into it. My Maybe, thought is that the players convinced, or Barco said, I'm fine, coach, I'm fine. The trainer said, okay, we'll give you another 15 minutes or so. And then if you watch the two or three minutes Barco's on the pitch, I went back and watched it, and just watched him uh, in the second half. He is, he, is, he is not the same player. He's clearly fatigued, physically not there. I don't think he got into full sprint a single time. He doesn't touch the ball. And he, the most amazing thing about it, if you watch him, he doesn't leave the left side of the pitch. He's on the left side of the pitch the entire time. So to me, you know, maybe he thought he could go back out and play 15 minutes, but once it was start, time to start get moving again and start running again for the second half, to me it was pretty clear he just didn't have the legs. So the substitution made a little more sense to me when I went – it didn't make sense they didn't just you know, take him off at half like right. you said you were going to. But when I watched Bark over those two or three minutes he played, it, it, didn't, it didn't look good. So I can understand why that move was made so abruptly in the, in the beginning of the second half. So the other aspect of this is the, the idea that, that Franco Escobar up, down, up and down that right side was barking essentially was furious at, about the substitution. at Franco, at, yeah. uh, was barking at Frank DeBoer. Or at least at the bench. I mean, I don't know if he was yelling so, at him, but that, and that's where. So you saw a lot of talk on on social media about uh, about what he said. I actually I saw him walking and kind of being very demonstrative and, and clearly yelling, but I didn't know who he was yelling at. And it wasn't until one of the assistant coach coaches did one of these numbers, uh, and I'm going to show you, but did one of these numbers where it's just kind of like stay in the game, point to your head and mm-hmm. stay in the game type mm-hmm. of deal. Um, be smart, keep thinking, whatever, whatever. However you want to. He was making those motions. Um, and I thought, is he talking specifically to Franco Escobar? Like what? What? Like, Might be. It made the whole thing very curious. Uh, it it just kind of compounded the this idea that the players just don't like Frank DeBoer, uh, which obviously isn't good. And so that that he, he, so my mind thing my my thing is, I I I'm not super happy with with sure the 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 numbers behind this team in 2019. I can't really be upset with where they are right now because because they're in a good place to 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 do to to accomplish every goal they have in front of them uh, in 2019. On top of that, they're in the this is part of the goals, but they're in the U.S. Open Cup final. Um, no matter who they play, they're probably going to be favored, and you're still going into the weekend with a chance to come out in first place in the East. Yeah. You're third in MLS right now, like I. I just can't be that, even as a player, I can't, sure, I might not like the way this is going about, but you can't, what's the phrase, you can't argue with the results? Yeah. And the results right now have put you in third place in MLS right now. If you're looking at a cumulative cumulative yeah. points chart, cumulative table, you're looking at Atlanta United behind LAFC and uh, and the Philadelphia Union. And most importantly, I think the performances have looked a lot better over your last two yeah. matches. Um, I think the Escobar thing, because like I said, I think the now that we know that it wasn't some stupid tactical point Frank DeBoer was trying to make, subbing Barco after, after two minutes, which for a million reasons would have been 
Terrible coaching. And so, I, uh, well, sorry, not to interrupt, but maybe Franco Escobar just didn't know, and he just thought, "What the? What the? Well, heck, maybe, what the heck or are you, you know, like we said, I mean, you're a player, right? So you see, I mean, again, no offense to Andrew Carlton, but you've you've convinced the manager or whatever happened at halftime for Barco to come back out, and you know, you're going to see that you're all he's he's going to support. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. Barco being on the pitch, regardless. Um, but but it does. I I do think. One thing you bring up, Eric, how how public it was doing it. I mean, clearly yelling at the bench in front of everyone does maybe show that. I don't know if there's still unrest, but certainly that the players. Um, I mean, that would never happen with Tata Martino, even if you disagreed. I think with what he was doing, so clearly, I think you still got some work to get on the same page. And I think an action like that says a lot, where a player is emboldened enough to feel that he can do that on the field, especially considering. If, if we assume it's true, especially considering that it was done to protect Barco, and if you went and watched those two, three minutes, he clearly needed to be protected because he did not look himself yeah. at the beginning of the second half. But I don't expect Franco Escobar to notice that. You know, I, I expect him He's to go to the say, game. "What? Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's one of our best players." You know, what what, you what's, what's going on yeah. here? And it was a tough situation for Carlton to go into, by the way, um, because he hasn't played you know, in the league for such a long time and you just kind of throw him in there with a whole half to play. And then, of course, every time he gets on the ball, any time he makes a mistake, what's everyone going to think? No, I don't think Ezekiel Barco would make that mistake. So it was a tough spot to put him into. And that would have been another reason it would have been a bad coaching move if it was tactical. But again, it just seemed like DeBoer's hands were tied at that point. But I would, again, like you said, Eric, I would like to know why um, the coaching staff recanted, and I would have liked to have had this question asked by the traveling media at the game, but I know you know there weren't a ton there. But I would have liked to see someone follow up with the okay. You said he was go- good to go for forty five minutes. Why did you allow him to come yeah. back out and play? And it could have been so. It could have been something something simple. The trainer says he's good. His levels are good. Or maybe Barco saying, you know, give me 10, 15 more minutes, coach. But there's no way you would plan to send a guy out for two three minutes in the second half unless. You know, unless something unplanned happens on the pitch. And I, in this case, he was just not physically right. And I know he's a, an attacking player, but had they yeah. been scored on those 10 minutes where it was so wide open, it just would have been, it would have compounded the problem, um, I think, for the players. And so, man, you took out our best player when it was this wide oh, open, when it went back and forth. And, you know, I thought, th- I thought, so he, good, good on, good on Atlanta United for not allowing a goal in those moments where things were so. I actually hectic. thought that the team, you know, reacted almost collectively the way that Franco Escobar did. They seemed surprised. Uh, by the substitution and did not look the same for the next 15-20 minutes. I mean, the game changed right there at that substitution, and then fortunately you're able to... That second goal was against the run of play. I mean, at that point you're thinking... All right. Well, fortunately, Orlando can't you know get a shot on goal. Let's let's get behind the ball. And let's let's see this out. But that that goal was very very much against the run of play in what the 78th minute or so. Any other thoughts on the match that you could point out? Yeah, I think the best thing I'm seeing right now is. You know, we talk about the players and manager, how they have to meet each other halfway. Frank DeBoer is not going to totally abandon his principles to manage like Tata Martino. And likewise, the players can't expect uh, things to be exactly the same as they were last year. you got to meet each other halfway. So I see some give from Frank DeBoer and uh, that he's moved to that three-five-two. And I've seen a little give from the players the last few matches because they've done something that you didn't see under Tata Martino in three-five-two last year. They've controlled possession. You've got sixty percent possession. You had a high possession number on the weekend playing that three five two. So it's a really nice mix where you're still kind of playing, you know, embodying Frank DeBoer's principles, possession style, holding the ball, but 
you're also in that three five two where you're able to attack a little more vertically, a little faster when you need. So that's the biggest thing I see. We'll see if it continues over these last two matches. Is I think we're finally starting to see an identity between what Frank DeBoer wants to do, what the players want to do. They're meeting in the middle, and hopefully more of this to come in the near future from what we saw in Orlando. I truly did love the first half of this match with 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 Barco, with Pity, with yeah, I mean the only addition I'd want is Joseph naturally. Um, for who I don't know, but uh, I just love the way this team possessed. Yeah, they built from the back. Absolutely, Pretty, like and, and they built it. They built from the back really well. And and the, but but my, my point is, might have come they, from the back. They, they did. They did. They built up a lot more than they have in the back or in the past. Um, and that's where it, before it seemed to be just much more dedicated to trying to find Joseph Martinez. It was almost an abandon, abandoning of, of of Frank DeBoer's principles and just kind of like, all right, well, what's you know, we'll worry about the principles later when we have a lead or something like that. We'll, we're going to try to just score first. And here it was because I guess you don't have Joseph Martinez and you have to find a way to, to you know, do it as a unit. It's almost as if this match they fully bought in mm-hmm. and decided to to really work the ball around, really try to uh, find the open spaces, uh, working on the wing to guys like Miriam. I Gressel was – I know he had the assist, but there was – there was two moments that stood out for me, and one was when he kind of like brushed off. Uh, I think it was Nani, who I guess went down for some kind of fake injury mm-hmm. or something like that, and then immediately Gressel passes the ball up the field, and it's to absolutely no one. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I think that happened twice, and those are the two moments that stick out. I know he had a, he, he, he did fine. I'm not saying that that those two moments made made you know he had a bad game because of those, those two moments, but it just made me it it. The thing that stuck out is be better than that. I don't think Russell. he looks good either. And also, the Dwyer miss is off of a pretty bad error from him, where uh, the a, a ball gets Nani crosses it into Dwyer and he right. misses, uh, but the ball gets switched to Nani and Gressel is totally in position to cut off uh, that ball to that side, and he just gets wrong footed and doesn't stop it, and Nani's able to then get in across, which I also thought Gressel could have blocked. You know, defensively, definitely, I mean, you had to deal with Nani, so it's yeah. not easy, but defensively, definitely not his best evening. And I think in the future, when teams look at Atlanta United, particularly if you're going Miram Gressel as your wingbacks, they're going to say those wide areas are where we need to where we need to get at them, because those two guys are not great 1v1 defenders. Got some breaking news in the podcast, ready? Oh, no, I thought we were trying to go short tonight. Minnesota United okay. will be Atlanta United's opponent in the U.S. Open Cup Final, August 27th. That's fantastic. Inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Hopefully 72,000-plus in the stadium. I love it. First appearance for both teams, so we'll have a a brand-new U.S. Open Cup winner. A chance for Atlanta United to double up on their trophies in the trophy case. A chance for Minnesota United to get their first. And two teams that entered the league the same Same year. And and, uh, kudos to Minnesota, by the way. I mean, they've really done... Adrian Heath. Yeah, right, who we are making so much... Hopefully we'll get to make fun of him again one day, but... uh, I mean, I just, they did exactly what they said, right? They came in the league, and they were getting blasted, and they say, look, we're building a stadium. This is a, a three-year deal, and, and you look at them this year, and they are absolutely a playoff team can we just the make, Can Conference. we just make the TIFO just a sign that says, hey, Orlando, if you had kept Adrian Heath, you might be here right now. <laughs> just make that, either that or hashtag blame Eric. Well, you could put both. Yeah, you, could. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't even. Either one. How humiliating they couldn't overcome the the blame Eric curse. So, but you know, I think that that that's a good way to put a bow on the Orlando game, man. I mean, I think the key was um, again you're seeing Atlanta United control and dominate a game, and in this case, it was without Joseph Martinez in what could have been a, a difficult situation. Um, I think I was relieved uh, that the Barco substitution. Well, 
you didn't want him to be injured or anything, but I mean, I would have that would have completely changed my mind. Yeah. To Frank DeBoer of coach, if he thinks he can sub off his best attacking player three minutes into the second half and send some sort of message, and also Tito Vijalba we, we, gets a run out. So we agree with the Barco thing, and this is real quick, but we agree yeah. that. There's something that we don't. There's something behind the scenes that is clearly not being not and, being. And said. I don't. I don't know if it's specifically with Barco, but the reaction of Franco Escobar yeah. shows you there's still some tension. I don't know if. It's well, no, no, no. I mean, I mean the the decision to pull him out. There's definitely there's definitely something more that we're not in our opinions, or at least. Well, they, it has to be something because I'm, they said he was good for 45, right. and he can't. So you know, I, I guess I'm asking you. There's something that we don't know of. Yeah. It's something behind the scenes. Something that 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 obviously we're not privy to because we're not in the locker room. Something that we're missing as fans. Uh, that went into that decision. I don't. Uh, I don't mean to jump on the media too much that we're traveling, but you you have. Yeah, I don't know how. Well, you I don't know ask, how yeah. no one follows up. It, I, maybe one of our guys. I think they're going to be at, will be at training on Thursday. Can follow up, but I, 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 I and it's not even. I don't. I totally believe what they're saying, and I yeah. totally accept whatever the answer is. I'm just interested as to why Barco uh, came back out if he was only good for 45 minutes. But um, again, watching him, I think it made sense, and. Uh, you know, you look at these two matches, Eric, I think maybe the hardest one is yet to come with New York City FC coming this weekend. It's a really strong team to me. I think they might be, um, to me, uh, a team that can absolutely make a run and, and win the East. So I'm really looking forward to that match Sunday, and I want to see if we can see more of this uh, kind of mix between 2018 Atlanta United and 2019 Atlanta United. Where you're able to play that 3-5-2 where you can go vertical, you can counter, yep. but also you're mixing in Frank DeBoer's system uh, of playing a more possession-based style. Looking into the weekend, Atlanta United right now, again, 39 points, second place in the East, 42 points for Philadelphia Union. Uh, a win would put a win and a Philadelphia loss would put Atlanta United into uh, the top spot. Yeah, um, and uh, The New York Red Bulls, they're at 37 points. So the only team that really has a chance to surpass Atlanta United should Atlanta United lose this weekend, they play LAFC 10 o'clock on Sunday. So mm. tough task for them. NYCFC, our opponent for Sunday, 35 points. Um, and they're and, a team that they have matches in hand on everybody. So oh yeah. if you look at their points per game, they're, basically, want, they're basically right there with Atlanta at and Philadelphia. At the very least, you want to steal points away from them. Um, the good thing about this weekend is that the, the gap between where Atlanta United stand right now and... Uh, the 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 red line for the playoff spot uh, grew to six points. Yeah. So before uh, before la- before last week it was four. So that's a big positive for Atlanta United. Keep that going. Um, and then looking ahead to August twenty seventh, the U.S. Open Cup match. Right now, Minnesota United. It's not the same Minnesota United team we've seen the last two years. Right now, they're second place in the West. So clearly, a step up from uh, the first two years. Adrian Heath has him doing uh, some special things this year. 38 points, so just depending on how you view their opponents, they're kind of even with Atlanta United in terms of um, where they stack up points-wise in the season. Man, the Western Conference is like, they're perfectly in line. Everyone's played 23 games. Yeah, imagine just imagine that. that. Like, oh, you know, geez. you're looking, you're like, oh, NYCFC in fifth. What? They've played 21 games and Philadelphia's <laughs> played 25? How does that happen? Uh, but yeah, um, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I'm just, uh, I can't, uh, I can't wait for that game Sunday. Uh, I, I mean, this is the one we're going to learn. I think of Atlanta United, we've seen from a style point of view, like I just mentioned, getting to where you want to, but can you do that against the top teams? And to me, again, we said, yes, New York's in fifth. 
Uh, but if you look at their points per game, they take those matches in hand. They could very easily be in first. And to me, there's no question, particularly with DC United struggles, that they're at the very least a top four team in the East right now. At the very, very least. So I think you're going to learn. Yes, you've kind of found maybe that middle ground and style between 2018 Atlanta United and 2019. Let's go and see if it works against the best in MLS, best teams in MLS. So I'm really excited for that. Um, Shout out to my boy Zach, by the way, in the Gulch, who came up and uh, and introduced himself. Nice, uh, one of our listeners. If you, uh, I'll be down there, so if you see me down there, he's a man uh, of the people. Just yeah, just just come and say hi. Let's have a drink. Um, and uh, Eric will be gone. So. Yeah. Uh, my final thought, and I usually don't have any, but I just absolutely love Joseph Martinez and his troll job after the match. Oh, how have we not Instagram. mentioned that? Orlando, uh, that was fantastic. <laughs> Uh, if you haven't seen it, go check out his Instagram. Sydney Hunt uh, is who I'm looking at right now, who has it on his uh, Twitter handle. So if you need a quick reference, to it's on social media. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's effing hilarious. And there's also a good story on Dirty South Soccer right now, just covering the general smack talk that's come post game. Gressel got to dig in. Miram got to dig in. Oh, so yeah. just go and check that out because uh, insulting Orlando is so fun. It's so, so easy, fun. It's so easy now. It's such a bad city and they're bad at soccer and they're just do they, do they still do they still give us crap for all the history talk i don't know like i mean I'm, the thing I was is try, like I was trying to think if i've heard that in a while and i don't think i have i'll take that argument from portland i'll take that argument <laughs> yeah. from seattle but great for you for being around longer and and doing nothing you know like <laughs> doing I, less with more time yeah i mean i mean history is not always good right i mean so uh yeah no 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 props for orlando on that one but um so I guess me and Sam will probably have to find a way to do the podcast. Yeah, so I will be in uh, in Uruguay the next two weeks. I will be jettisoning, jet, jettisoning, jettisoning myself. That's a tough word. Yeah. On a jet to. You got your passport. Uruguay. Don't forget your passport. I've got my passport. Okay. I've got a big suitcase. Uh, what are you most looking forward to? Like, is there I'm, a I'm food you miss or the meat? The meat. Alfajores. My guy. What? What's that? Alfajores. What? What is it's that? It's like it's like Uruguayan moon pies. That's meat. No, no, no. no. That's not meat. But oh, okay. I was like, that was a very <laughs> sorry. Jeez. That sounds more like an American thing. Like no, a, no, a no. meat sugar pie. That's a. That's not. That's not. No. Yeah. That's okay. specifically. So it's not just. What's it called? Alfajores. It's not specific to Uruguay. So that's I think like Argentina a, a has sweet. So, yeah, it looks like a like a moon pie, except in the middle have like dulce de leche or something like, something mm-hmm. like that. Oh, okay. So it, nice. But, I mean, effectively, it's a moon pie. Can you bring them? You can't bring them back. I can try. Let's, if they let's, let me. Uh, I'd love to sample one on the podcast. I, I, I don't travel internationally very often, so I don't know what the rules are yeah, for it bringing might be back tough. food. But uh, I can try. You just have to claim it in customs, I guess. But, Is that uh, what you have to do? Yeah. I, I remember sure one time I went to Italy when I was a kid. I'm going to delete that part and just leave everyone in suspense. <laughs> you should just end the podcast there. But we'll miss you, man. And uh, you'll be back for the cup final, though, right? Uh, so I will be back the 26th. Okay. The 27th is a cup final. Nice. So you'll be ready. So we don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, we have to wait and see what happens when you're gone. Look, I would say the same thing I said about Orlando. Minnesota can absolutely hold this one over our heads. Although they have beaten us, they absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're they absolutely good. At least their trajectory, I mean, at least their trajectory is upwards. I mean,. Orlando was Minnesota of three years ago, except they've been in the league for... Man, how do you let Minnesota, Pat? Never mind. Anyways, <laughs> we that'll can... do it for us. Until next time. See you later, Atlanta. <laughs>